Hi, this is Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and the host of Fostering Change. You know, it's hard to believe that we are ending our second season of Fostering Change. And I hope you have found this podcast not only insightful, but entertaining. You know, we've covered important issues regarding the foster care system, parenting, family issues, and so, so much more. Season three, we will launch our 100th episode in November. Can you believe it? In the meantime, I'd like to share some of the highlights from the past season. I went through and I listened to quite a few of the episodes, and I've chosen a couple that I think we all should listen to again. One of them is to my amazing friend, Rita Sorensen, the president and CEO of the Dave Thomas Foundation. What a good human what so many amazing things that their foundation is doing. We're also gonna throw in there Dr. Bruce Perry from What Happened to You. You know, Oprah and him wrote that amazing book. I have it sitting right here. I refer to it quite often, and I am so, so excited for you to hear this interview. And I'm so excited that I actually get to call Dr. Perry my friend. You know, I also wanted to make sure that we included the dad's episode. You know, it was so amazing that Bryce Howard chose my family to be in their documentary. And I think the podcast with two, my two of my amazing friends are definitely two that I want you to hear. You know, I'm also gonna do Ben Higgins from The Bachelor. Why? Because if you follow Ben, you will see he is the definition of leading by example. So listen up. I hope you enjoy the greatest hits that I call, and please tune in in November for our 100th episode, and will you ever be surprised about that guest? Take care, everybody. Our foster care system is shattered. And this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, change in the system and changing the lives of children in foster care. Hi, my name is Rob Shear. I'm the founder of a national charity called Comfort Cases. I'm an advocate for children in foster care. I'm a public speaker. I'm an author of a forever family but most important, I'm a dad to five of the most amazing kids. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Well, we're back for another amazing episode of Fostering Change. You know, I've said this so many times that most of you are probably thinking this is a broken record, but you know, I am so absolutely grateful for the platform that I have been given to talk about the things that I truly feel that each and every one of us should be talking about. Number one, foster care. Number two, adoption. You know, when my husband and I decided to build our family, we knew that we wanted to have one child. And we knew that this family was going to be built through foster care to adopt. And fortunately that we have not just had one child, but we are getting ready to sign our paperwork for our fifth adoption. And my children range from the age of 12 to 20. And you know, every single week as I follow this amazing foundation and we're getting ready to meet the CEO and the president, I always think about the number of kids who have not been able to find a forever family. 
I think about these kids at night when they go to bed and when they get ready to age out and what's going to happen when they don't have that net. And I truly believe that within our country, within our country, I know that there is enough people that can open up their hearts to help us find homes for the over 120,000 children that are waiting for a forever home. My next guest, she's doing it. She is actually the president and CEO of the Dave Thomas Foundation. That is right, the Dave Thomas Foundation. As I call them, Wednesday's child. Not Wednesday as in the day, but Wendy as in Wendy's child. You know, Rita, thank you so much for being on this show. It means the world to me. Oh, thank you for having me. I am so, first of all, impressed by you and the work that you're doing. And congratulations on your family. You exemplify everything that the foundation stands for. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for that. You know, I truly do believe that every single child, no matter what their age is, they deserve to have a foundation. They deserve to have permanency. And, you know, I feel that they deserve to have that net. You know, the other, last year, my son was 19. My son arrived at the age of 18, my oldest one. And he was one of these kids in the system who was not gonna find a forever family. They were gonna allow him to age out of the system. And I met him when I was giving a speech and just absolutely, I meet thousands of kids, but there was something about this young boy, Rita, that I just needed to do something. And I went home and I told my husband and my kids about him. And the next thing you know, within a matter of three months, Alex had moved in with us. And he graduated from high school, he's in college. But I, I thought last year, Alex was in a car, his car, um, he had accidentally locked his keys in the car. And the first thing he did was he called his dad and I. And of course, I did the dad thing. I lectured a little bit. And then I called the locksmith and had the locksmith meet him at the car, got him his keys out. His dad and I paid for it and he came home. But what I thought about though, Rita, is the number of kids who don't have that someone to call, you know? So, you know, I want to talk about what are, you know, why are youth in foster care and why so many? Yeah. And you know what? That's exactly it. This is about the simple moments, right? What do children need and deserve? And it's the birthright of every family. Children are in foster care through no fault of their own. They've been abused. They've been neglected. They've been abandoned. And the systems surround them and the families in an effort to provide safety. The challenge is that our first, our first responsibility is to try and get those children back home. Children should grow and thrive in their family of origin. That's, that's the best and first and safest place for them to be. But for too many families, that safety just cannot be assured. And as cases wind through court systems and juvenile justice systems and child welfare systems, the determinations are made along the way that for some children, they simply cannot ever go home again. And so that's the differentiation between children who are in foster care, hopefully temporarily, and that's the majority of children who are in care, about 430,000 of those children right now in this country as we sit and talk, the majority of those children should go back home with services in place or, or with, with just some intervention. But for those children who can't, and you're right, 122,000 children in this country right now 
for whom parental rights have been permanently terminated. They're still in foster care. They're still foster care children. And now our job as responsible adults, as people who have made a commitment to these children that they can have a family, our job is to quickly and effectively find a family for each and every one of those children, like the five children that you've taken into your family. Do you know, Rita, do you, do you really think that you know, foster care is the answer? Well, that's the, that's the question of the day, right? Um, I think we have got to, and, and I think this country has come um, to some reckoning for a lot of reasons over the past year and, and certainly over the past decades. Um, I think foster care was designed as a, as a, as a safety, a place of safety. But, but too often we've, we've let it become a place where children linger. That children age out of foster care is irresponsible on our part. Right? If, if, if parental rights have been terminated and the goal is to find an adoptive family, then for those 20,000 children each year, year over year over year who turn of legal age and age out of the foster care system, those, those are adult failures that we haven't found them families. So there's something in that system there that, that we have got to fix. First of all, we know from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, we do um, um, routine surveys of Americans' attitudes toward children in foster care, toward foster care adoption. And we know that too many Americans still believe that children are in care because they've done something wrong, that they're juvenile delinquents, right? So we, we, we ascribe fault to these children when nothing could be farther from the truth. But unfortunately, some of that trickles into those very workers who, who care for those children. And so we think that, oh, well, you know, at 17, they can't possibly fit into a new family. So we'll give them some guidance to age out of care. And just like you shared with your son, that the challenge is when we, when we believe that children can thrive without families, and yet we don't think of that of ourselves, we all need families forever, right? But for some reason, we think that these children in foster care, because of who they are, because of how we think about them, because of the myths and misperceptions that we pile on their shoulders, because of the multi tra multiple traumas that they've experienced, and therefore, perhaps some of the behaviors that they experience as a result of trauma, that we believe that, well, if we just get them out of the system, they'll be fine on their own. They'll pull themselves, you know, that old American, well, they'll pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, and they'll be fine. Well, that doesn't allow them to make a mistake like locking their keys in the car. It doesn't allow them to stumble when they're trying to find an apartment. It doesn't allow them to be without a job for a few weeks and therefore at risk of homelessness when, look, my daughter at age 28 came home and stayed with us for six months while she was making a transition between one city and the next, between one job and the next. And I, like you, I think about what if, what if she didn't have us during that transition phase? So I think your question is, you know, is foster care the answer? Uh, I, I, until we come up with something better right now, it's the safety answer, right. but it should not be the permanent answer. It shouldn't be the, the additional trauma answer. It shouldn't be the, the myth and misperceptions that we pile on our children answer at all. And, and I agree with you. I mean, I, you know, 
I gave, I was a banker for 27 years and I sat behind a desk as an executive and I worried about my bank and I had an office East Coast, West Coast. I never once thought about, you know, really trying to talk to people about foster care. But now as a public speaker, you know, I think it is so important that we have to talk about the myths, the myths, you know, the fact that we must understand that these kids come into a system because of a choice someone else made. Yes. A choice that someone else made. And then we bring them into a system. We save them. Um, and what what I what I see so many times, which I can't seem to grasp my mind around, is that we save them, but when they start getting older, um, we just say, okay, we're not gonna be there for you. And I feel, you know, no matter what, I mean, I, you look at your daughter who was in her mid twenties, she needed her, her parents. And, you know, I think of my children that whether they're thirties or they're 35, I mean, we all need yes. um, someone within our life. And I truly do think that there are two things, and this is my opinion, that I think we could do immediately in our foster care system. Number one, we must, we must do a better job trying to find permanency connection for these children. And that first permanent connection that we need to find is through some type of relative. You know, and then we must support that relative no different than we support a foster family. You know, if we're able to give a stipend to a foster parent, we need to give that stipend to kinship, you know, um, and I think that that is so, so important. And then the second thing for me is that I feel that we have to set these children up for financial success financial success. And that means if we're going to allow 20,000 kids to age out, we're not going to write them a $500 check and say, be, got, be on with yourself. What we're going to do is from the time they enter foster care, we take some of that stipend, we put it in an interest-bearing savings account. So when they do age out, and I'm not saying write them, I'm, I could imagine if I wrote my 20-year-old a big old check, what he would do. I'm saying, give them a net. Yeah. You know, first month's rent, that emergency, lock your keys in the car, give them those opportunities. Do you think that within our lifetime, we'll see those type of changes? I think I think so. I think there are many more advocates now like you that are speaking out, that are talking to policymakers, that are highlighting this issue. It, look, it's not been that long that adoption hasn't been a secret you know, over their issue. These are someone else's children, right? Our, our founder, Dave Thomas said, these children are not someone else's responsibility. They're our responsibility, but that's a new notion, a relatively new notion. They're not too old, too damaged, too dangerous. They're not scary people. They're not, they're not children who are, who are without um, uh, the right to have a family. And so, yes, I think, and, and I think it's been accelerated this year with the, with the emphasis on, on racial inequity and social justice, the child welfare system is being scrutinized as well. So I think, I think, I think we're ripe for change and ripe for those policy changes. I'm completely aligned with exactly what you said about how we can support and, and family has to be that first default. We should place children um, uh, in their families, in their communities, where they can self-identify um, in the way that they were born to self-identify. It's only after we can't find those or, or nothing like that works that then we can go to that, that, that older notion of sort of stranger foster care, stranger adoption. 
Yeah. And, and I agree with you. I, I think so many times, though, we're not investing. And again, I think when you invest in a child, you invest in our future. Yes. And, and, you know, as, as your as your founder, as Dave Thomas said, I, I, I say that quite often, these kids are not mine, they're not yours, they're our children. And if we don't invest in them, by the way, don't want to invest in them, that's fine. Guess what? Tomorrow, you will invest in them. Yeah, because the only thing that we're doing is we're graduating them from foster care to a penitentiary. And that's where we have to stop. The, the, the notion that we set the bar so low for these children that, you know, only 54% of them actually graduate from high school. Um, it, if that happened in your school district or my school district, you know, you and I would be picketing left exactly. and right, you know. Um, but I do think that that we have to invest in trying to find immediate family members. And then we also, we, we must support the family because, you know, you, you, you made the comment about, you know, the inequity justice of, you know, I see so many times throughout the country is that, you know, um, we, we find being poor a reason to take a child. You know, we find the fact that, you know, I, and, and, and I've never shared this. I'm sharing this with you for the first time. I have a son who, um, you know, came through us through, through care. Um, as we know, kids have a lot of trauma. Um, my son, you know, at, at a moment, chose to run away. Um, but because of the town that I lived in, the police saw him got him, brought him back to my front door and said, you know what, here's your, here's your baby, because he's still my baby, no matter all it is, you, you need to deal with, you know, what's going on. I'm telling you, if my skin color was of black, and you picked up my black son, you would have taken him away. And then I was a bad parent. And I see that happening a lot. Do you see that as well throughout the country with what your foundation deals with? We do. We look, we know that the child welfare system still suffers from an overrepresentation of black children in the child welfare system. It's not because black parents are worse than white parents. It's because the, the very people charged with, with looking, looking at these children and assessing whether or not they should come into the system come with their own internal set of, of what's, who's, who's a viable family, who's, who's a, um, uh, you know, their own set of, of racial images and and, and, and um, racism, perhaps. And so that's part of this hard work that we have got to do is address this racial inequity in, in all of the systems, certainly, um, and, and, and certainly in the child welfare system. Uh, you know, the, found, the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption is going through a year-long, um, really deep exercise on, on not only who are we as an organization, this isn't just about what do we look like, but it's about how do we impact these very systems that surround the children we serve. And so we're making sure that we're not part of the problem, part of the continuing problem and not recognizing that we are. It's a, it's, it's a lot of work, but we have got to do this. We absolutely have to do this. Look, I know there's study after study that says, when you lift families out of poverty, you reduce the number of children coming into care. Not because by default that, that families that are in a, uh, in a poverty situation are bad parents, they simply don't have the resources to surround them to adequately at times care for their children. So lots that needs to be done in this country and, and at the core of it, Rob, is that we have to fervently believe that family is the core of the community. Family is the core of society and we have to support family and 
to do that, they have to have uh, economic resources, they have to have healthcare resources, they have to be food secure, they have to be home secure. And those are hefty conversations that we seem to stumble over in this country year after year after year. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I agree that if you support the family, we will see less number of kids coming into the system. And again, I I understand. I mean, I have I have two of my children. There was no way that they could have ever gone back to their sure. first parents. The abuse was just beyond what you could imagine. And I get it. And we need foster care for that particular reason. You know, we're going to take a quick break here, Rita. And um, I, I can't wait to continue this conversation. Listen, everybody, I am so, so excited that today we have the CEO and the president of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. You know, I really am asking you all to go on their social media platforms, follow them, learn how you can impact your community and understanding that your community it is not your zip code my friends it is our human race and the fact that if we actually support these kids build them the foundation they they need you are going to change our future whether you're listening to us on apple spotify deezer or any of your favorite podcast platform, or maybe you've decided to tune in and watch us on our YouTube channel, please do us a favor, leave a comment. If you have a question, please email me at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org. And the most flattering thing you can do is share this podcast because you never, ever know the person that you share this podcast with could be that person who's deciding to adopt that child who truly deserves a forever family. We'll be right back. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that is inspiring our communities to bring dignity and hope to youth in foster care. You know, for just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Cases mission to eliminate trash bags from the foster care system. For every $10 donated, a Comfort XL duffel bag will be given to a child entering foster care. Please help us be part of the change. Go to comfortcases.org and see how you can help a child entering our foster care system. Well, we're back and we are back with another incredible episode of Fostering Change. We are here speaking with the CEO and president of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, my friend Rita. You know, Rita, I have a couple of questions. Number one, how did you get into this? <laughs> you know, I, I was not adopted. Um, I, I don't have any adopted children, but I was one of those kids that came out kicking and screaming, it's not fair, especially when it had to do with children. I've just always been a natural child advocate. Um, and when my oldest daughter was, was an infant, we moved back to Columbus. I was between jobs. And um, there was a horrid case of abuse in Columbus where an infant passed away because of the abuse. I was tuned to it. I immediately went to the local child abuse prevention organization um, that was then the Ohio chapter of the Committee to Prevent Child Abuse and started volunteering. And that was my first step into what is child abuse, what is child abuse prevention, how do we, how do we, how do we address this as a community? Um, and that turned into a, a full-time position there. I moved from there to um, after about a decade to I became the director of the local CASA program, the Court Appointed Special Advocate Program. And and saw what that next phase when our in, when our prevention efforts fail and children's 
are involved in the court system? How do we make sure they have advocate voices on their behalf and they get the best possible services? And while I was there and never intending to leave, I love the CASA program. I sit on the national CASA board right now. Um, uh, one of my board members was a board member at the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. They were going through a leadership change and she recruited me to apply. And so for me, it's been this full circle serendipitous, meant to be perhaps serendipitous course of just my natural sense of how do I advocate for children? How do I make sure children have fairness? I mean, I still think like a 10 year old. I, you know, when, when adults would say to me, you'll, you'll think differently when you're older. I don't, I still think the same way I did when I was 10. Um, but to be able to put that into from child abuse prevention to intervention through the CASA program. And now when all those efforts have failed and we essentially have legal orphans in this country, how do we assure them the permanency that they deserve? So it's, it's been not a, it, you know, not a typical course of, of getting into the business, but how lucky am I that I've had these opportunities? Wow. I absolutely love that. And by the way, I'm a huge supporter of CASA. You know, I think, you know, we give lots of cases to our CASA workers at Comfort Cases. Um, we, you know, it is a unbelievable unbelievable um, job that they do. I will tell you that since you do sit on the national board, there was only one thing about CASA. Maybe you can explain to me. Yeah. Um, so I recently interviewed someone from CASA and I was informed that when a, a child who is in the system, and by the way, I think children stay in the system way too long. I, I, you know, it was one of the things with our children, you know, they had been in the system. We were their third placement. And after about 13 months, and they'd actually been in the system for about 18 months, um, there, uh, Reese and I just decided, you know what, we're going to hire our own attorney and file for adoption because I just feel like there's there should be a time limit for parents and adults to be adults, um, and and it shouldn't be. But but what I heard, and correct me if this is right or wrong, but if a child is with their CASA worker, let's say three years, um, and then all of a sudden the judge decides to do reunification after three years that CASA worker is not allowed to have any participation with the child once they reunify with their parents? So it just depends, you know, every state functions differently, every court functions differently. If the reunification is, it's permanent, in other words, that the agency has stepped out of that family's life, then yes, the CASA has no further involvement. If the agency still has involvement in that, in that family's life, then it's up to the jurisdiction whether or not the CASA stay involved, stays involved. So it, it, it honestly is so different from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. See, I always thought that it would be really nice if that, if the birth parents, the foster parents, the CASA worker all came to the table yep and said what's the best thing for this child right That's and for, you know for me it's 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 connection you know you never can have enough people exactly. love you exactly. you know you can never have enough people love you so you know with the dave thomas foundation for adoption you guys are actually expanding your signature adoption program can you let us know a little bit about that Sure, it's called the Wendy's Wonderful Kids Program. Um, and we started it in 2004 uh, in this notion that, look, when I started at the foundation, we were doing great public awareness campaigns. Um, we were educational resources and we were a grant making organization. We're a national nonprofit public charity, but we were also making grants to national organizations. But if you had come to me um, and said, Rita, how many, how many children did you help get adopted today? I, I would not have been able to tell you that. And yet our mission says to dramatically increase the adoptions of children out of the foster care system. And under that word dramatic is something measurable. 
So we went underground for a bit and we began to look at what is our, what is, in addition to what we were doing, which was raising awareness about children waiting to be adopted in this country, um, where was our spot? Where could we add value to this conversation and to the activity on behalf of children lingering in and aging out of foster care? We looked at some emerging best practices across the country and asked questions of hundreds of organizations. Why are children aging out of your foster care system? Why is it that children are not being adopted? We can address the myths and misperceptions through public awareness campaigns, but we've got to get these children adopted. And what we found is there was no evidence-based practice that social workers could use that said, this is how you um, advocate and, and recruit for this target population of children. And it's those children most at risk of aging out of care. Children age nine and older, children in sibling groups, children with special needs, children who have been in care for so long that they resist efforts at permanency, they push back. They say, when a judge asks them, they say, no, I don't want to be adopted. And then they're moved into the, into the, the emancipation track. And so we created a program that we call child-focused recruitment that was based on some emerging, some emerging best practices, but really is just good social work. And we said, we'll, we'll, we'll test this program in a number of states um, with grants and the grants will be given to organization, public or private, who will test this program for us. But what the grant provides is hiring a full-time adoption professional who's dedicated to the longest waiting children in that community. But they have to implement this model and let's see if it works. And the model's really simple. Carry a much smaller caseload of children, 12 to 15 maximum, so that you know the children on the caseload. If you know the CASA program, you'll see some parallels. Get to know these children, develop a relationship with the children because from them and through a deep dive in the case file, you will find natural, not only extended family members, but natural potential adoptive parents, former foster parents, um, people that are involved in the child's life, mentors, best friends, families. You'll find that natural community around a child, particularly if you involve the older youth in the conversation and then get to know everyone on the child's caseload, all of the professionals so that you have a, a solid picture. And we work now with Connect Our Kids. I know you've had Connect Our Kids on your show as well. Certainly use those tools that help discover who, where, where are the extended family members, where are the extended connections in this child's life, and then start making some matches. And so we tested it in seven pilot sites in 2004 we very quickly saw results, right? These were children for whom no one else had been advocating. They were just on that aging out track. But when you put this kind of effort behind them and began to educate those folks in their community about who these children are, about those very social workers who had already written on the caseload unadoptable, I mean, literally written unadoptable. Um, when you begin to say, wait, 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 there's a way that we can change that to this child deserves a family. So we began to grow that program and we called it Wendy's Wonderful Kids because we went to our best philanthropic partner, the Wendy's uh, system, and we said, if you help us raise dollars in the restaurants, if you help us with events, if you help us get more dollars in the door, we can dedicate those dollars right back out to where um, those dollars were raised so that those organizations can hire more adoption professionals and get these kids adopted. Uh, so by about 2007, we had a footprint in all 50 states, but you know that means one or two recruiters in a state like California or Texas, where there are literally thousands of children that could benefit from this service. So we began, we, we did two things. We knew that we had a program that seemed to be working, 
the numbers looked good. Um, we could make it look pretty because we were working with some of our best partners that are great at marketing and public relations through the Wendy's company, but we didn't know if at an, at an evidence-based level it worked. So we engaged Child Trends out of Washington, D.C. to do a five-year randomized control trial evaluation of the Wendy's Wonderful Kids model. It's a child-focused recruitment model is what we call it. Wendy's Wonderful Kids is the brand. Um, and compared against business as usual in the same organization, in the same jurisdiction. And what we found after five years is that on average, a child served by Wendy's Wonderful Kids is about one and a half times more likely to be adopted. But counterintuitively, the older a child is, the more likely they are to be adopted. So up to three times more likely to be adopted. In other words, we had the evidence that said, this program works, we've got a footprint in all 50 states, um, now it's our job. And in 2011, we said when this research came out, now we're morally obligated to, to see how we can get this to expand in states because it works until something else comes along that works better than this. This is the, this is the, 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 the platform that will get these forgotten children adopted. Um, and so we went to first Ohio, our, our home base and the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services. And we were funding at that time privately, I think seven recruiters across the state. And we said, look, we've got evidence that says this works better than business as usual. Is there any possible way we can come up with a new strategy, which is a co-investment relationship, right? A partnership relationship between the state and the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. They very quickly saw the value in it. And within a year, we had with a, an investment from the state to the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption that goes right back out to the 88 counties in this state. Um, we were able to scale up to 50 recruiters that were able to serve even more children across the state. And so we began to look at that model. Well, if Ohio can do this, certainly other states can do this. What, what Ohio also taught us and I always hesitate to talk about it this way because it is about the value of human life, but there's also a return on investment for states, right? If you get children out of an expensive foster care system, particularly older youth, children with special needs, children in sibling groups, that, that higher daily rate, um, if you get them out of an expensive foster care system and into an adoptive home, even with subsidies applied, even with supports around that family, you're saving literally millions of dollars, multi-million dollars in states. And so we took this proposition to other states. We also had an additional investor, the Blue Meridian Partners, that saw the value in this and have invested in the foundation. And we are now have taken this program to scale in 10 states. And by scale, we mean we're serving the numbers of children in that focused population that we say are most at risk of aging out of care. We have the number of recruiters in place. Um, and our next a uh, five-year plan is to get 10 more states. Our ultimate goal is by 2028, this program will be taken to scale in all 50 states in the District of Columbia. We're well on our way. This Just this past year, we celebrated 10,000 adoptions through the Wendy's Wonderful Kids program. So we're super excited. It's about not only taking it to scale, but getting it embedded as business as usual so that ultimately the state or the county takes over the majority of the cost while we still have an investment in training, in technical assistance, in performance management, um, and, in, and, in, and in making sure that it stays a partnership, but it becomes embedded as business as usual. And, and when you look at the caseload of who we're serving right now through Wendy's Wonderful Kids, we're serving nearly 7,500 children today across all 50 states. The average age the child we're serving is 14. 60% um, are part of sibling groups. More than 80% have some 
identified special need. And the one that makes me, two, two statistics that make me sad and then I'll stop, um, is that 87% of the children that we're currently serving have had little or no efforts on their behalf. They've simply been sitting in care for nearly five years. By the time they hit the Wendy's Wonderful Kids caseload, they've been in care for five years and they've had little or no activity on their behalf to get them out of care and into an adoptive home. And these are children who have been freed for adoption. We're not, you know, these are, these are the kids that should have had efforts on their behalf. And 22% have already had a failed or disrupted placement. So, so we feel really good about it, but we still have to continue to look at exactly what you talked about earlier. What are the policies that surround these children? What are the practices that surround these children that still create barriers to permanency? And so we're trying to address all of those issues while we raise awareness and get these kids adopted. You know, wow, wow, that that is just beyond unbelievable. Those numbers, you know, I, this is what I don't understand though, is that you, you, you've shown that the model works, and by the way, works better than any model that's out there, okay? And again, anybody who's listening and you have a better model, please share it with us because I haven't heard about any of them. And what I don't understand though, and this is something that I, I've been trying to figure out throughout the years is all of the states and counties, they all work so different. When are we going to have, you know, and again, I'm not a big government guy, but I mean, when are we going to have the government come in and say, guys, this is what we need to implement. We're we're a three billion dollar industry of, of child welfare, you know, and if we're showing that this model works, you know, and it's and, and again, as much as we, we hate to say it is all about funding, it is all about funding. Um, you know, it's like, I, I just don't understand why they don't implement this throughout the whole entire country. Yeah, and that's been part of our charge and, and part of our learnings too. Um, we, we started this major expansion in 2017. So it's been a relatively new effort for us to, to make sure internally we're, we're built up enough to, to be able to advocate at different state levels, but also advocate at the federal level. So we've had you know, really good relationships at, at um, across political lines about permanency for children. It's not a political, it, it shouldn't never be a political issue. It's not a political issue, um, but we're getting a little bit more mature about how do we address this from the top down and the bottom up understanding and respecting, you know, the, the challenges that exist between the borders of Michigan and Ohio, between the borders of, you know, California and, 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 and states. So um, understanding all of those uh, differences, challenges, respecting them, but finding where, yes, where can we speak a common language and where can we have perhaps a federal overlay that still respects states and, and, and drives a successful program for children and families. Yeah, success. You know, you, you talk about using apps right now to connect kids, you know, um, I just recently, um, for Christmas, my husband surprised me and had a DNA test kit given to me. Mind you, as a kid who grew up in the system, a kid who aged out of the system, a kid who never found permanency, I was a little hesitant about doing that test. But when I did that test, what I found out was that I had a brother and sister that were a lot older than me that I knew nothing about. And I thought to myself, you know, when I was a kid and I was floundering and when I was homeless at 18, um, gosh, if I only knew that I had some skin out there. And then I found that I had like 
hundreds and hundreds of cousins and and i was just always thinking gosh if only and so i love the fact that you guys are using application for that because i i do believe that there are so many times family members they just don't know exactly. you know they they don't know that that johnny is floundering in a, a foster care system they just you know they're, they're so disconnected from the family um that they don't know you know as we close this up i i really want to know if a family is looking um to adopt from foster care you know what do you what should they do you know certainly um you know research 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 first there's so much information out there and 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 do that self-research what am I looking for for my family? Um, what it, what's going to work for me and for my family? Am I looking for a sibling group? Am I thinking about an older youth? Am I am I really dedicated to the notion of an infant in my family? You know, really understand and respect what you need as a family, and then really think about what these children in foster care need as a family. And then you know, at the on the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption site, we have a map that shows all of the agencies that we work with. Look, we have more than 500 recruiters across the United States and Canada that we're supporting. And that's a lot of different agencies from, from government agencies to private agencies. And so we can make referrals into agencies that we work with specifically that we know a lot about that, that carry Wendy's wonderful kids caseloads as well. But the, and, and we've got a, a resource on the site, the Beginner's Guide to Adoption that walks people through a step-by-step, -step, what to expect, what, what am I looking for? How do I uh, approach an agency? What happens once I approach an agency? And, and we say now more than ever during the pandemic, it's not a time to stop thinking about that. Now's the time to really dig in because agencies have made that pivot. They're doing virtual trainings. They're doing you know, as much virtually as they can. And the gates are gonna open here soon again. And children are gonna be coming into care at an increased rate, we believe, because they've, they've, they've declined coming into care because they haven't been connected to schools and doctor's offices and those places that were mandated reporters during the pandemic. So, so now more than ever, do that research, Connect on the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption site. You can you can uh, download that beginner's guide to adoption. Check on our map and see what agencies we work with, or give us a call at 800 ask DTFA, and we can make referrals in and out. We can walk people through the process, uh, and then reach out to that local organization in your community to find out their schedule of trainings, what they're required, you know, the home study requirement, all of those things that are required. It can feel daunting, Rob. You're stepping into government systems and government systems are not easy to step into. But we say on the other side of that is imagine what our children are experiencing and, and, and leap over that, that fear or discomfort that you might have and know that on behalf of a child, every step is worth it. Yes, and and you know, you, you said something that triggered me because I've been saying this for a while now. Number one, children who are in the, the our foster care system or who are coming into our foster care system, they have been dealing with a pandemic the entire journey. I mean, we woke up in March and all of a sudden we didn't know where our lives were going. We didn't know what tomorrow would bring us. Kids who enter foster care deal with a pandemic with or without COVID. And, and, and my fear has always been when we do come off onto the other side, and we all will come to the other side of this pandemic, we are going to see the largest wave of children entering foster care than we have ever seen. Because I truly believe that Johnny and Susie are still behind a door with a black eye. Yeah. The problem is, is we know that our teachers who do the first line reporting 
aren't seeing them. Exactly. Neighbors who, who, you know, would make that call, their kids aren't outside right now. And that doesn't mean, I mean, I've heard people say, oh, our numbers are declining. Our numbers are declining. No, no. You know, we're just not seeing it. Exactly. We're not seeing it. You know, Rita, it has been an unbelievable pleasure. First of all, it's been such a pleasure that I get to call you my friend and that that you. you inspire me. You inspire so many people. The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption is truly doing what I say that we all should do, and that is to make our dash shine. You know, each and every one of us, whether we're rich or poor, black or white, no matter whether we're male or female, we're all given the same thing at the end of the day. And that's a dash. You walk through the graveyard, you see them the year you're born, your dash and you year you die. You're making your dash shine brighter than you can imagine by doing this work. So thank you. You know, I'm going to make sure that we link all of everything we've talked about, how to get to your foundation. But if somebody just makes that decision and says, you know what, my life is, I just can't adopt. Yeah. I, I can't foster, um, but I want to support. How can they do that? Absolutely. Well, they can support the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption directly. We're a nonprofit organization. There's you can you can click on the site and, and do that and, and support us directly through donations. But I also say, you know, we support uh, programs like Adoption Friendly Workplace. How do we support this notion of adoption in the workplace that if someone gets benefits um, as a result of birth and expanding their family, then anyone that adopts should get benefits in the workplace. So think about where you work and do you have adoption benefits and advocate for adoption benefits. And we've got all kinds of toolkits there. Um, think about mentoring a child. Think about volunteering in one of the agencies close to you. Think about celebrating National Adoption Day, the Saturday before Thanksgiving. The foundation was one of the lead founders and funders of that initiative, and now it's a national grassroots initiative. Um, you know, think about just stepping in and, and talking about adoption at your place of worship or adoption at your place of work or adoption when, you, when you're out finally out to lunch with your neighbors and friends um, and just talk about this. The more we talk about these children, the more normal they become rather than those strangers over there, you know, it, it normalizes this whole conversation. And when we normalize it, then we can celebrate it. So just step into the conversation is what we say first, and then find the channel that, that feels best to you. I love that. I love that. And you were so right. We must talk about it because that's how change comes about. Change comes about when people talk about it. Well, listen, whether you're listening to us from Apple or Spotify or Deezer or any of your platforms that you love to listen to your podcast, I hope that you got as inspired as I did. You know, Reese and I have said this from the very beginning of our journey. When Amaya arrived and Makai arrived, and then three months later, Tristan and Grayson arrived, and little would we know that 10 years later, Alex arrived guess what? We know that there will be another child that will arrive in our home. We know that because we know that we're here to be doers. And each and every one of us can do, whether you are mentoring, whether you are volunteering, whether you are just talking, as my friend Rita said, we have to normalize this. Because understand, kids come in foster care because of choices other people made. Let's make the right choice. Let's make the choice of being good humans. Take care, everybody. I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on all of your favorite podcast streaming platforms, including Spotify, 
iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. Check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. And I know some of you have a question, and I know some of you would love to be a guest. Please personally reach out to me at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. That's fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Then do me a big favor. Please help spread the word. Share this podcast. Share it with your friends and your family. Remember, I say this quite often, we're all part of the same community. And that community, it's not our zip code, but our human race. Let's all make a difference.